National RNZ National Wallace Chapman here. We have Julie Woods and Nick Leggett this afternoon. And to this, New Zealand should be a country that if you work hard, you should get ahead. Hope and help are on the way. The national government will help the squeezed middle, said Christopher Luxon uh, this morning. So, national's back pocket boost policy. Uh, the top lines here. An average income household, 120000 with kids. $250 a fortnight, about 150 of this will be in childcare subsidies. The average income household, no children, $100 a fortnight. Superannuation couples, $26 a fortnight. Someone earning $60,000 will get an extra 50 bucks a fortnight. And a full-time minimum wage worker, $20 a fortnight. The policy is capped at 78100 meaning someone earning slightly above this would get the same per fortnight as a millionaire. With us is Louise Delaney, Senior Lecturer in Public Global Health Law and Ethics at Otago University and a member of Tax Justice Aotearoa. Louise, kia ora. Kia ora. More, more money in the back pocket for the average Kiwi. Is that how you see it, Louise? I see that uh, more money uh, uh, coming directly um, from reduced tax is certainly um, part of the, or essential part of the national policy. Um, but this doesn't, this overlooks completely what is what is happening to the whole system. Um, the fact that we've got reduced thresholds and so on um, with increased taxes. Um, simply means that um, uh, we will need a heck of a lot more money to um, just to stay still. That's really the problem. If you lower tax thresholds, um, or sorry, raise tax thresholds, you need um, that will mean that fewer people may um, pay um, um, a significant amount of tax. This loss has got to come from somewhere. In my opinion. There are two major flaws in the National Party policy, um, and this is from, I, I hasten to add, both from a tax justice ATRO, which is a tax reform organisation, and from my um, health, public health point of view. So my primary lens on all of this is what's it going to do for the public health services. Uh, so uh, we need a lot of money, um, a lot of revenue to compensate just to stay still. While, unfortunately, New Zealand needs more tax revenue in order to pay uh, for the challenges ahead and the current challenges, and they include our health services, education, housing, infrastructure, and perhaps most uncertain of all, um, apart from the fact that it will be certain, is the challenges faced by climate change and um, and you know the unexpected so-called storm events that we've already had. So the right. um, the kind of policies that um, so I, I'm interested in how uh, new policies to keep us going forward on meeting our health needs uh, how are they going to be funded? Okay, yeah, and that's kind of the key one of the key issues, isn't it? Uh, yes. Generally, a uh, fair, fair, pretty big response to this, uh, and I'd like to ask you what do you make of them? Is it going to help? Uh, the the top one I've just read here says well three words whoop de do. Um, what about you, Julie? Is this going to help you in any way? Not from what I've really heard. I, and I, I just don't like the rhetoric about 
um, if you're middle income that you're hard working and the inference that if you're not you're not hard working and I think they didn't say that it, it did um yeah, they say about the hard working squeezed middle so it kind of implies that if you're not in the middle you're not hard working and I don't I, that rhetoric just keeps coming out and I don't agree with that okay Nick what do I think I think that Obviously, I work in the infrastructure sector, and we need a lot more money invested in infrastructure in New Zealand. We've got a $200 billion hole. And so I, I do take the point around, you know, we need more money to invest into public infrastructure and public services. Some of that funding can come from, in the infrastructure sense, from Overseas. external, you know, or, you know, uh, superannuation or iwi or other funds uh, nationally. nationally. But... Um, I think there's a real sense that I'm picking up from people, whether they are wealthy, middle or low income, that government has not done a great job of spending tax money. And actually, we'd like to keep a bit more for ourselves so we can choose how to spend it. And that's something, interestingly, that's common across Western democracies. You know, New Zealand tends to wear this bubble and we think that all our problems are unique to us. But we have seen that real challenge around delivery. And I think that's what leads to... Uh, you know, people wanting to keep more of their own money off, and if they can see that their taxes are going to something, um, you know, they're going to something going to something tangible that's helping people. I think we've got a real sense of fairness here, but also we live in high inflation times. We've got big cost of living challenges, and people will want to keep more. Uh, for themselves. Well, can I put that to Louise? I mean, is is that not uh, a fair point there? Because part of it is, <laughs> I don't know whether it be psychological or philosophical, that notion of actually keeping some to spend the way you want to do it. So perhaps there's a, a political lens on it, Louise. Um, I can see the psychological um, driver of having a bit more money and having a bit more money when we go to the supermarket. But I think that what people um, do really need is to be sure that um, when they need to go to hospital, they will be able to attain good services. Uh, when they send their children to school, they can be sure that the teachers will be paid appropriately and won't be going on strike. What I think is interesting and what I'm sure is going to deserve a lot better analysis is the funding issue in the sense that a lot of the funding um, for the new policies are going to come from you know, reallocation of public services and so-called you know, non, non-core and back, you know, back, front, you know, back um, services um, which are really undefined. They include a bit of, um, they are sort of set out there to some extent on page, my page 17 of the policy, such things like reducing advertising and so on. So that kind of money is supposed to fund these tax cuts. And I see, in my opinion, a bit of double counting as a health person. I've, of course, looked at the health policy. And um, so, for example, the policy on uh, nursing and developing our nursing workforce, of course, an imperative. The funding, it says, on the policy for that is that funding will come from the $151 million per year in unallocated savings remaining from National's commitment to spending on tr- contractors and consultants by $400 million a year. So that's how we're going to fund the nursing uh, policy uh, with a few other million for other doctors and so on. 
yet um, in this policy, um, the um, the cost of you know consultants, contractors, and back backline workers is going to compensate for the tax. So how does all this add up? Um, and I right. haven't seen any analysis of that lines, looking at other policies, the costing of them, and if they all say, well, this is going to be costed by, you know, spending uh, less money on consultants and reducing advertising, and they can't have it both ways. So you either do that or you spend compensating for the thresholds. And you have to look at the whole set of policies as a package. Um, does the um, expected loss of revenue compensate is it compensated in another way and speaking so that's my little speech as a health okay. person yeah. as a tax justice person i feel that we need to um, ask more um of the system uh from the more wealthy um, who are who are wealthy amongst us and who by and large are not that unhappy to contribute and i'm talking about the very wealthy here um, but asking more of the very wealthy um, is uh, a way to um, fund compensating those in the middle and lower incomes to reach the increased levels of revenue that we Got need. It. Got it, Louise. Yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, look, thanks for being with us on the panel to give your uh, uh, insights into that. Okay, yeah, and, could I, and could I just know one last thing, yeah. which is that this is all part of the campaign that um, Tax Justice Aotearoa is proud to be part of. It's funded by, it's organised by a coalition and it is um, better taxes for a better future. Got it. Understood. Hey, very good. Louise Delaney there for a senior lecturer in public global health law and ethics at Otago. And just on a final note, that is, I guess that's the that's the main driver and the key points that will be analysed, Nick Leggett, on just whether the numbers add up. And actually, the other issue is, will it indeed, uh, will this 14 plus billion dollar package be inflationary? Yes, so that's something that I've been interested to yeah. to check out. Look, we're putting more money into people's uh, pockets, so yes. But there are some. The other thing that's not mentioned here is that there is there are new taxes, so there are tax increases yeah. that um, are going to cover this, and it is, I think, it's going to people um, in some cases. You know, the foreign, foreign buyer tax. Interestingly, I was really interested in this. That you know that thirty nine percent tax rate for every dollar earned over one hundred eighty thousand. Now we always hear about the National Party. Oh, they're only interested in wealthy people. They're actually that's staying, you know, and they're not going to change that within the first three years of government. So I think it's a, that's a real no. nod to the fact that uh, they recognise we've got to keep. So you know, it's, it's not about cutting tax for the for the high income earners. This is about giving relief to people who need it. Nineteen pass for the panel RNZ National. Julie Woods and Nick Leggett uh, with me this afternoon. Does it help in any way? I'd be interested in hearing from you two one zero one to text now. An airport in the stunningly beautiful Terrace, hugely controversial issue, which is the first village when you head south through the incredible Lindis Pass. Is that a yes or a no from you? Christchurch Airport today released video and images of the proposed terminal and the case for a new regional airport built in Terrace. Runway length up to... 2,600 metres, just behind Auckland and Christchurch, much longer than Queenstown Airport. Christchurch Airport bought around 750 hectares of farmland in central Otago in 2020. With us is Professor Bronwyn Hayward from Canterbury University, has been looking closely at this over the years. Professor Hayward, welcome. 
Kia ora. Thanks for having me. Bringing four million people into a stunning central Otago airport. You're Christchurch-based, Bongwood. Would you use it? I'm Christchurch-based, but I'm Otago-born. <laughs> uh, so I have a heart in both places. Yeah. Um, I joined 12 senior researchers last year who wrote an open letter to um, government and industry when we started to get more detail about this and expressed our concern. It was led by Professor James Heim, who is the um, Distinguished Professor in Tourism for um, Otago and now also at Griffith. We're arguing that it's just not sustainable, but also we need a national conversation about our major infrastructure. Um, We can't just do these things piecemeal. There are two big issues here. How are we going to fund all of our infrastructure and what effect that's going to have on the climate and how we're going to pay for the costs of that and also what kind of tourism we want to have as a country. The IMF just pointed out that we're we're not even reaching or close to reaching at the moment our climate targets and individual New Zealand citizens will have to pay significantly for our um, our climate costs as we start overrunning what we've promised uh, internationally that we would reduce by. So these are really important national conversations and shouldn't be left to just local areas to battle this okay. out. Let's bring in Julie, who is uh, based in <laughs> Otago there. Julie, is it a yes or no from you? Uh, well, I, I think it's a no from me because, firstly, um, as Bronwyn's already indicated, the considerations of the impact on climate. Um, Queenstown, when it went through the pandemic, said that, that it needed to diversify its portfolio. Um, and tourism, you know, they they were hit very badly. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about, well, the impact, of course, on the local area, if you live there, what that's going to mean for those people. And, I, and of course, Bronwyn, you've indicated that it's a national conversation um, that needs to be had. Stay there, Bronwyn. Let's get, bring Nick Leggett in. Oh, well, kia ora, Bronwyn. Um, Look, nice to hear. Um, I have I have faith. You're in, dying to fly into Tarras, aren't you? Um, I, I can well, I just I can just feel it. Look, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. Um, but um, as much as I love Otago, um, but look, great infrastructure is driven locally. Now we're in Auckland, Wallace, the Auckland Harbour Bridge. The national government. It was a national government, but also the government for the country said, no, no, it's too expensive, we don't want to go there. It was driven locally. But look, I have faith in technology and energy transition, Bronwyn, and I I think you do as well. And so I don't think that we can put today's emissions lens over a piece of infrastructure that will actually be, you know, if we we make progress as a country and as a a world, will be, you know, a lot less, um, will be far less emitting or indeed carbon neutral by the time it actually opens and starts to operate. I'm really interested to get your sense of that um, because that's a, a feeling I've got, but I want to know your professional sense of that situation. Yeah, it's a feeling I would like to have, <laughs> but professionally as a member of the IPCC we've been very clear that we can't we can't rely on magical technology that is not coming. We do know that we will be able to get some hydrogen and some short-haul electric planes. There's a lot of creative work going into this. Mm. 
But what we're talking about is rearranging a major transport system for the country here by introducing an international airport in the south, another one, when we haven't had a conversation about how we want to organise this transport as a country. So it's not just a harbour bridge, but if we were debating this at a local issue, local level, um, Professor Elon Noy, the the economist at Vic points out that he doesn't think that Christchurch residents really understand that this airport, which is 75% owned by the city council's holding company in Christchurch, will actually be moving these tourists away from Canterbury at the very time when our local economy in Canterbury is really struggling oh, that's quite to get Roman. back on its feet. That's an interesting point. So, that's a here no, and no, now issue, it's though, a, isn't it? But no, it's not a here and now because we, we, when we track it's what's happening... But, but no, but you've just said it's struggling to get back on its feet today. If we need we need to grow the number of tourists to make mm. you know, this, to continue to sustain our economy into the future, thinking 20, 30 years ahead. So Possibly, possibly. But tourism is internationally changing into the future. Correct. And it is something that is changing. So countries are starting to put look seriously at levies on long-haul flights. This is a really big issue for New Zealand because we are so vulnerable. So in we do have to keep very realistic about the changes that will also happen in the tourism industry. So we can't assume that large-scale tourism is going to be the cash cow that it has been. I mean, just yesterday, the United Nations issued a general comment on um, that governments now should require every major decision to consider the impact on the rights of generation of children and future generations now this hasn't even been debated nationally and i can't find any political leaders talking to them privately or industry leaders who think this is a good idea. But no one's publicly engaged in this because we're in the middle of an election. It's something they don't want to look like. They're iconoclasts, that they don't believe in the possibilities for technology. Of course, we've got massive possibilities for technology. But we also need to plan really carefully, and we can't leave this national debate to a poor old local community Mm. who have already said look, we can't even currently fund um, and house our workers for tourism. So okay. we need to have some national support it for It sounds like this needs to be a much more discussed issue on the national stage as opposed to regional. But for now, Bronwyn, kia ora. Appreciate your time on the panel. That's Professor Thanks so Bro- much. That's Professor Bronwyn Hayward from Canterbury University, one of the 12 signatories not into it, not into Terrace Airport. Um, Got to say, it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the, you know, Stunning. It's, it's just what, my favourite scenery in all of Aotearoa. Mm. It's so special, you know, that first village part of Linda's Pass. So if it goes ahead or not, be interesting to, to see those developments there. 27 past four, you are on the panel, loving your company this afternoon. We have Julie Woods in Dunedin, uh, Nick Leggett here in the Auckland studio, and to this, um, speaking of airplanes, excuse me, ma'am, your crop top is against our airline dress code. That's what one passenger was told when checking in for a Virgin Australia flight. They do have a list of minimum dress requirements. Footwear must be worn. Thongs, okay. That's Australian for jandals. You must wear a shirt, but singlets are acceptable. With us was the passenger in question, Arden Ha. Kia ora, Arden. Arden. Kia ora. Can you walk us through 
what happened when checking in for your flight? Yeah, so um, on Monday, I yeah was checking in for my flight at Bagdrop, um, and the lady just asked me while checking in, she was like, do you have a jumper? And I totally thought she was asking, um, because obviously it can get really cold on planes. And I was like, yeah, I do. And then she was like, oh, okay, good, because your shirt, um, your crop top is against the dress code. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I've never heard of that before. And she was like, yeah, you're not allowed crop tops on board. Um, and then we just discussed a couple non-related things later. And then before my bag went off, she was like, so I just need to make sure that your jumper is on your checked baggage. I mean, sorry, your carry-on baggage so that you do have it for when you go on the flight. And yeah. So you had to carry a jumper because you were in a crop top? Yeah, and it wasn't even really, like, it was a bit of a crop top, like, just above the belly button, but it's not one of those ones that are, like, basically a bra. Like, it was a singlet with a bit of midriff showing. It wasn't even that skimpy. I don't know really what they do in the summertime when you've got people flying from Queensland in 30-degree heat. We've got a panel with us, Arden. So, Julie, you've got a situation here where this wonderful passenger was asked to um, have the jumper at the ready in case the crop top got a little bit um, well out there. What's your sense, Julie? Well, um, um, congratulations on wearing a crop top, Arden. Well, <laughs> it's very too. cool. Yeah, no, t- yeah my, those days are gone. Um, I, I, I was thinking about the dress code because I've travelled um, on a lot of planes and I wasn't even aware that there was a dress code. How do you think that this could have been communicated better with you? I mean, I think that if it's really that strict, it should be emailed. Like crop tops are a very common thing that everyone wears. And I personally fly a lot. Like I take minimum 20 planes a year, wow. um, domestic and international, and a lot of that is Virgin and New Zealand and Qantas. And this is the first time I've ever heard of it, um, especially specifying for a crop top. I've never had a comment on my outfit. Not even travelling in conservative countries, nonetheless coming from Brisbane to Melbourne on a Brisbane flight. Brisbane <laughs> to Melbourne, no crop tops. Unbelievable, Nick Leggett. Uh, have you like have you had any word from Virgin? Like, is this an official policy, or is this just a conservative member of staff? I think the staff was just being a bit sassy because I've never heard that from Virgin before. Um, I also googled the policy online after, and it just specified singlets, as you said. So yeah, no. And also, when I was boarding the plane, no one was having any issues with it. It was just that one person when I was checking in. So, and I wore the crop top the whole time and never put my jumper on. <laughs> oh, you didn't even put your jumper on the plane. That's very, that's 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 giving the the, the two fingers there, Arden. <laughs> yeah, I did a little bit later when it was cold, but I was just I wasn't concerned <laughs> about it, so <laughs> I had it there if I needed it. Is there a sense there? I'm just being a devil's advocate, I guess. Is there a sense though? You're on a flight. Um, Actually, no, there is no devil's advocate, is there? It's just it's just out there, isn't there? I mean, you can wear what the heck you want to wear, really, Nick. It just seems like it's this a, is a quite... random individual who yeah, do you has think? A, a particular bias to me. That's what it sounds like. Does that sound like to you, Julie? Yeah, it does. I'd, I'd like to see it. Um, I agree with Arden, getting it emailed so that it, it can be made more accessible, the dress code. Yeah, and you've you've given this some sunlight now, Arden, and uh, mm. let's see what Virgin have to say. Yeah, all... I mean, I think I've only really heard of it in um, airline clubs and maybe business, but I've never ever heard of it for coach. Just finally, Arden, are you going to wear a crop top next time you go on Virgin? 
Um, probably, like most of my outfits consist of crop tops. Honestly, it depends on the weather. Um, like I said, I never wear the super skimpy ones. I just have a little bit of midriff. <laughs> I probably will wear it again as well because it's the most comfy outfit. Good on and you. I actually get a bit claustrophobic on planes, so I don't like wearing too much stuff anyway because it just kind of makes me feel a bit like closed in. So probably. Lovely to have you on the program. That's Arden Harvey who got... Uh, Given a jumper, asked for her jumper because she was wearing a crop top on a plane.